Good morning. If you would, be taking your Bibles and turning with me to James 5.17. We'll be here for just a moment as we uh, look at James 5.17, and then we're going to move uh, to a few other passages. <clears throat> this morning, we're going to start a, a series that, when I first began to think through this and talk through this, uh, we, we thought maybe I would, I would spend a, a long time looking at different heroes in the Old Testament. We may still do that, but we're going to begin with a few weeks in a guy that you may have heard of before. His name was Elijah. Elijah is a man who uh, is a great hero uh, for the people of Israel. He's a man who, if, you know, if they had a poster up on their wall, if a little Jewish boy had a poster up on his wall, he'd have Moses and Elijah. Elijah is a, is a great hero of the faith. He's someone who uh, people looked up to. He's a man who God used to do ma- amazing and wonderful and mighty things. And so James writes this in James 5.17 when he says this. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. If you would join me again for prayer this morning as we get started to hear from God's Word. Father, I pray that you prepare us now, prepare our hearts to hear from you. God, I pray that you would speak in this service, Lord, that you would use your Word uh, to ignite a passion in us and a desire in us to love you more, to serve you more. And God, I pray that you would use uh, th- these verses this morning, this passage this morning, God, to remind us of our need for you, our desire, and, and our, our only hope is in you. Lord, help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Elijah, he lived in a, in a pretty difficult situation. He lived in a day not unlike ours in that, you know, he lived in a day where he couldn't do a whole lot about anything. You guys ever been in a situation, maybe you're in a situation where, you know, no matter where you turn, no matter what you do, it seems like you just can't quite get over the hump. You look at the world around us and you say, somebody needs to do something. You look at your life and you say, somebody needs to do something. And you, and you begin to think, maybe I, I can do something. And then you, you try and nothing happens. James says that Elijah is a man who, when he prayed, it didn't rain for three years and six months. Why is that? Is that because Elijah was a man who had rain-stopping power? No. It's because he trusted in the one who does. You see, what I, what I want us to see over the next couple of weeks is that Elijah is a nobody just like us. He's somebody that simply trusted on the Lord. And so this morning we're going to look at what, what I would call his origin story. Y'all know what an origin story is? Those of you who are super, superhero fans, you know the origin story is where a superhero becomes a superhero. Like you got Spider-Man, what happened with him? He, he got bit by a, a spider, right? A radioactive spider, and he becomes super powerful. It's totally believable. And the same thing with Superman. He's from a different planet, and the Hulk, he has over-radiation. You can go through the list. You know, Batman watched his parents die. All these different things create these heroes that are more powerful than we are. Every hero, it seems, has some sort of origin story. Why is that? It's because we understand that as we look at our life and we look at the world around us, Without extra power, without extra strength, we can't do anything. The only way we can believe that someone actually has power to change anything is if they're a superhero. They need an origin story. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Elijah's origin story. I was trying to explain this to Josiah last night. He was reading actually a comic to me. And he, he was like, Dad, let me show you Dogman's origin. And I was like, what's an origin? I was trying to get something out of him. He, he wasn't too excited when I told him I was going to be talking about this this morning. He's like, hey, whatever, Dad. I don't care. But, uh, but we, we kept talking about it for a minute, and I, and I said, you know, Josiah, what is it? And he said, an origin is where when someone special, you know, becomes super. He put it somewhere like that. And then I said, well, why don't you have an origin story? And he said, 
well, Dad, we, we can't all be super. And he's right. We don't have superpowers. We can't get superpowers. Our only hope is the one who made us and created us and remakes us in his image. And so we're going to look at Elijah's origin story. If you want, turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. I know it was a true story. I was there too, buddy. Thanks. Fact checker. <laughs> Just ask Josiah. He was there. But, but anyway, uh, Elijah lived in a very difficult age. Let me, let me, before we get to chapter 17, let me read you uh, what it says about the king that Elijah served under. First uh, Kings uh, 1630 uh, says, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And so the, the author here says that it was a light thing. It was no big deal for him to sin against God. He didn't even care. Verse 32 says, He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And so the, the king of Israel, the northern tribes, builds an altar, builds a temple for a foreign god. Verse 33, And Ahab made an Asherah, Asherah is the, the wife of Baal, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. He sounds like a real stand-up king, right? He did more to make God mad than any king before him, than all the kings before him. He did worse than they all did. He's the, the worst of the worst so far in Israel's history. So Israel is not on an upward trajectory. They are circling the drain. Like they are not, it's the, the future is not looking good. The king of Israel is building a temple to a false god. Now you've got to understand what Ahab is doing here is he's not telling the people of Israel... Stop worshiping Yahweh. Stop worshiping the one true God. That's not what he's doing. He's saying you can keep worshiping God, but you just worship Baal for all the places that God falls short. All the places God doesn't do what you want Him to do, you worship Baal and you get that from Baal. Since you don't fully trust on God, you know you can worship Baal on the side. There's a huge problem with that though, guys. God doesn't share His glory with another. You cannot worship God in any other God. You can either worship God or not. There is not worship God plus other gods. And so God had warned his people that if they began to worship the other gods around them, that he would send a famine, that he would send a plague, and that he would essentially destroy them. And so Ahab and Jezebel had rejected God. They had rejected God's word. They had rejected his covenant with Israel. And things are just looking down and worse and worse every day. Things are continuing to get worse. And so who is God going to send to defend his people? Who's God going to send to make things right and set things right? Who's going to face Ahab, the most wicked of Israel's kings? Here's the origin story. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And so here's... Elijah's origin story. He's a Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead. It's not much, is it? There's no cool facts. There's no hobbies. There's no family photos. Like, this is the most boring resume ever. There's nothing about him. There's no previous job experience. There's no, you know, conversion story. There's no seminary. Like, there's nothing other than the fact he's a Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead. He's a, he's a nobody. Like, he, he has no special features about him. 
And also, and also something that's interesting, we don't even know where he's from. Like, he's a nobody from nowhere. Like, nobody knows where Tishbe and Galid is anymore. It's such a small, insignificant place, we can't even find it. It's sort of like, I'm not saying Arkansas is necessarily insignificant, but like when we lived in North Carolina, and people would ask us where we were from, we would tell them Arkansas, and they'd be like, oh, y'all got a lot of desert out there, right? I always thought we were from Arizona, because they were so far away, nobody even knew where Arkansas was. They certainly didn't know where Hot Springs or Fountain Lake or any of those places were. That's sort of Elijah. No one knows where he's from. Nobody knows who he is. Nobody knows his family. He's not a star athlete. He's not a celebrity. He doesn't even have a YouTube channel. Like, there's nothing special about Elijah. He's a nobody. Because he's a nobody who comes and teaches the Word of God. You see, nobodies who believe God's Word, who trust God's Word, become somebody that God uses to do anything. Elijah comes from a, a background of obscurity, and he walks up to the king of Israel, the most, king, the most evil king these people have ever seen, and says, God has judged you. The day has come for you to pay for your sins. The day has come for Israel to pay for her sins, and it's not going to rain again until I say so. Elijah says this not because he's special, not because he's powerful, but because he believes God's word. Guys, he's not going to be popular because of this belief. He's not going to be popular because of what he says. He's not going to get invited to parties. People are not going to be his friend, and he's not going to influence people. This is going to ruin his life. But he doesn't care because he believes God's word. And he speaks on God's authority. And he prays and it does not rain for three years and six months. And so how does God honor this? How does God bless what Elijah does? Look at verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, that is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Here we see that because, God, uh, because Elijah believes God's word, because Elijah trusts God's word, he learns to trust God's provision and protection during dangerous times. He learns to trust that God is going to take care of him no matter what happens. And so we see this in the fact that first off, God provides him food. He provides him food through the ravens. So birds are bringing food to Elijah. Bread in the morning, meat in the evening. I don't know the delivery process. I don't know if the birds fed Elijah like they would their baby. I hope not. Right? You know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the Discovery Channel, that does not sound fun. I'm, I like to think that maybe the birds like stopped off at the supermarket, grabbed a T-bone, and brought it for Elijah to grill. Probably not. It's not, a, it's not the, the most fun experience, I'm sure. They're a little bit strange. But it's also a little tempting, isn't it? So Elijah has just stood up and said, Hey, you guys are about to receive God's judgment and God's punishment. And God takes him in the middle of nowhere where he's safe, secure, it's quiet, it's peaceful. Like he becomes a mountain man. Ma mountain man. You'll ever see Jeremiah Johnson? Like that was my idea of what life should be when I was a kid. But anyway, it, you know, he goes and he goes away from civilization and he, he gets by himself and he's spending time with the Lord. I mean, it couldn't be that bad, right? Has the bread dropped off in the morning, the meat dropped off in the evening, and he gets to drink from this beautiful brook that's sitting there in front of him, running in front of him. Like that's, that's not a bad deal for a prophet on the run. But here's the deal. Elijah, while he is away, the people of Israel are starving. They're starving physically because of the drought. Remember, 
if it doesn't rain for three and a half years, that's a really long time, isn't it? Like a, a really long time. P- part of this is that God, and we'll see this next week, that God is showing them that Baal can't do anything for them. Baal is the storm God. He's the God of fertility. He's the God who sends the rain. Like that's what they think. And so God says, oh, really? How about three and a half years, no rain? We'll see how powerful Baal is. And so the people of Israel are, are starving physically, but they're also starving spiritually. Think about this for a moment. The, the prophet of God, the man of God comes and shares God's word and then disappears. Radio silence. Where's God at? God, where have you gone? You told us you were going to punish us. You told us you were going to judge us. And then we don't hear anything from you. So I think God wants to show these people that he truly is the giver of all good gifts and that these false gifts, uh, these false gods of Baal have nothing to offer. Imagine sitting there not knowing what God would have you do, not, not hearing from God's word, not being able to go to church. Like in, in, in northern Israel and Samaria at this time, there's no, like, there's no faithful people apparently. Well, there's a few. We'll see in a couple of weeks. But God's man is gone and he's hidden. And God's word is not heard. There's a famine of rain. There's a famine of God's word because they had refused to listen to him. They'd refused to hear from him. I wonder this morning how many times God has spoken to you and you just keep ignoring him. I wonder how many, how close you are to having an Elijah come and say, hey, pay attention. Listen to me. Listen to God's word. See, these people had had God's word for a very long time, but they had ignored him. They continued to worship the false gods around them. Oh, they sure, they would go to the church. Sure, they would worship Yahweh on the side, but Baal's really their God. I wonder how long it's been since you put your trust in him alone this morning. And so uh, Elijah does what God tells him to do. He obeys God's word. He goes to the brook uh, and does what God tells him to do, but that doesn't mean that it's peachy. Look at verse 7, uh, 1 Kings seventeen seven, And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So Elijah's there for a while. We don't know how long, but he's there long enough that this brook, this spring of water, dries completely up because there's been no rain for so long. So Elijah obeys God's word, does what God tells him to do, and so he goes and he lives in the wilderness, kind of bad, not too bad, but then he goes from bad to worse. He goes from trusting God to do what God has called him to do to now, not only is he being hunted down by the king, not only is there no rain, but now his little hideaway is going away. Like, Elijah's life continues to, to go this way. And so, so I, I couldn't think, help but think about Elijah as he watches the brook dry up in front of him, saying, well, you know, if it ain't one thing, it's another. Y'all ever been there? You ever had one of those days? Like, it just can't get worse than this. Uh, the other day, I was driving home with the kids, and uh, my, my, my battery light came on. I was like, hmm, I wonder what that means. My my fan belt's been squealing for a while, and so I was like, man, that's, that's bad. And so we roll down the windows because the AC quit working, and we pull into my neighborhood, and as I pull in, I slow down enough where you can kind of hear outside, and all of a sudden I hear, shh. I'm like, what is that? So I pull up to the house, and not only have two of my fan belts broke, but I also ran over something big enough, like the size of my pinky, there's a hole in my tire, and I just watch it evaporate or deflate right in front of my eyes. And so, you know, sometimes when you're going through live, and you're like, man, my fan belt broke, it can't get any worse than this. Yeah, it can. 
You have a flat tire on top of it. And I think that's what's going on in Elijah's life. Not, my deal's not that big a deal, but Elijah's deal, he has the king chasing him down, hunting him down. He's hiding in a hole. His hole dries up, and now he has to figure out, what am I going to do next? I, I need to figure this out. I need to figure out what I'm going to do. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't respond that way. He continues to listen to God's Word. He continues to obey God's Word. You see, he trusts God enough to guide him through these difficult days. He trusts God's Word enough to know that wisdom doesn't come from him. It comes from the Lord. As I know, we've all had those days. Those days of, really, God? This too? On top of everything else? This is going on too? Can it get any worse? What else do you want from me? How else... Can I respond? This month, this year has been terrible. What else is going to come? And so Elijah, look at how he responds in verse 8. Does he run away? Does he try to come up with a plan on his own? No, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So God continues to guide Elijah through these difficult days. Verse 9. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. So first thing, uh, Zarephath is not Israel. It's a Gentile nation. So God sends him out of Israel to a completely different nation, to a widow who is not a Jewish widow. He, she's a Gentile, so she's outside the covenant of God. Verse 11. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Like I said, it can always get worse, right? Here, her and her son are getting ready to eat their last meal and die. Verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. Then verse 15 says, And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. You see, guys, when we realize that our true strength and power doesn't come from us, but from the Lord, then we're free to trust Him. We're free to obey Him. We're free to do what He calls us to do. Elijah, because he realizes he's a nobody, because he realizes he doesn't have anything to offer, is willing to listen to God's instructions. God says, go, arise and go to Zarephath. Elijah doesn't say, I think that's a bad idea. I'd rather go to Zenephath or wherever. He doesn't do that. He doesn't argue with God because he knows that God's wisdom is higher than his wisdom. He knows that God's ways are higher than his ways. He is trusting the Lord. God got me this far. He'll finish the job. He'll get me the rest of the way. He'll get me on home. I've trusted him up to this point. He hasn't let me down. I don't expect him to now. So often what we do when we get in difficult days and we get in hard times is what? We begin to come up with our own plan. We begin to come up with our own strategy. We begin to lean on our own wisdom instead of, again, going back to God, going to His Word, going to Him in prayer and saying, Lord, what's the next step for me? What's the next step you would have me to take? Even though I don't understand what's going on, even though I don't understand how to deal with this situation. 
each step Elijah takes, guys, is a little more difficult than the, net, than the last, I think. Now, it's tough, I'm sure, to stand in front of Ahab and say, hey, God said there's not going to be any rain. That'd be kind of tough, right? It'd be an awkward situation to confront the king, this evil king, and, you know, he may kill you on the spot, he may not, who knows. But Elijah gets to stand and say, this is what God says because of what you have done. But then he comes into this town, this Gentile town, and he looks at this widow who owes him nothing, who's not even a part of his nation. And, he, and she says, yeah, well, I'm about to make my last cake, and I'm about to eat it and die. And Elijah says, hey, before you do, could I have a bite? That'd take a lot of faith, right? Hey, if you do this, if you give me first dibs on your food, God will bless you until he sends rain again. Like, not only is Elijah's life on the line at this point, so is this woman and her son. It's one thing uh, for you to obey the Lord and put yourself out there and trust Him with your own life. It's quite another when you begin to trust Him with other people's lives as well, when you begin to speak into their lives. Guys, when we really, truly believe God's Word, and we really, truly trust Him at His Word, we become willing to share it. We become willing to speak it and to encourage others to take risks for Him. And then our faith becomes contagious. Because this woman doesn't say no way. She says, okay, let's do it. I'm going to trust you because you've spoken God's word to me. And so she depends on the Lord just the way that Elijah was depending on the Lord. Because make sure that you, as you believe on God's word, that you share his word, that you trust his word enough to share with the people around you so that you can have this contagious type of faith that Elijah has of just simply trusting on the Lord. Elijah doesn't say, I'll take care of you. He says, God will. And so Elijah's convinced that he doesn't have any power to do anything for anybody. He's simply trusting on the Lord. And so as you trust on the Lord, you begin to point other people uh, to him as you think more, less and less about yourself and more and more about his power. So look at verse 17. Because God is not done allowing Elijah to go through some difficult days. Verse 17 says, After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So this woman's son died. So they go from starving to having food to now her son is dead. Verse 18 and she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. So she blames Elijah for what has taken place uh, because of her sin. You know, she, she feels like she's in some way responsible because of the sin she has committed. She feels like Elijah's responsible because he's bringing God's judgment on her. And so he, he, she's saying, you, you've brought to me the remembrance of my sin. You've brought to me uh, the punishment for my sin. Guys, can I just say that sometimes bad things happen. We live in a sin-infested world. Now, it's true that sin brings terrible things into our lives. But it's also true that bad things just happen. And so, it's, and, so it's, it's, she got, and so Elijah responds to her in verse 19. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her uh, and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned? By killing her son. You notice who Elijah takes his broken heart to? To the Lord. He is, he is confident that God will hear his prayer. He is not hiding his heart. 
He's not pretending to be okay with this situation. He is brokenhearted over things that have taken place. Guys, you might as well be honest with the Lord. He already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what you're feeling. That doesn't, that doesn't mean be disrespectful. That doesn't mean, you know, come and, 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 and not be humble before the Lord. But come and be honest. Pour your heart out to Him. And so Elijah says, God, this has taken place and I don't like it. And I don't understand it. So verse 21, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Elijah prays to the Lord and God raises this woman's son from the grave. You you see, when we go through our darkest days, that's where we learn what we believe about God and that's where we learn who God truly is. As we trust God's Word, as we go through these darkest days, we learn who God is. I, I, I want to point out something here. It says that uh, Elijah stretches himself out over this son three times. I had a seminary professor explain this to us. He said, do you know why he did it three times? And we said, why? And he said, because the son was still dead the second time. This is a real deep theological truth, right? It changed my life. But the point is still there. Like, Elijah prayed until God answered Guys, Elijah knew he had no power. He knew he couldn't raise this little boy. He knew he wanted this little boy to be alive. And so he was going to pray to God until God said yes or no. He was going to stretch himself out and say, Lord, I want you to raise this son from the dead. I want you to raise this little boy from the dead. And God answers him with very real power. God's power, guys, here Elijah is learning, this woman is learning that God has power over death and life. Baal doesn't have this power. Molech and Asherah and Allah and Buddha and Joseph Smith, whoever, they don't have this power. They can't even raise themselves. But we serve the living God who raises the dead and makes them alive again. We who are no more than human, we are simply human, call out to Him and He he does the rest. He does the miracle. And so Elijah calls out to Him and God raises this woman's son from the dead. What does your prayer life look like this morning? When you go through these darkest of days, Do you respond like Elijah? Lord, I don't like this and I'm going to pray until you give me an answer. Or do you try to figure out a way to either deal with it or ignore it or fix it on your own? Because I want to introduce you to someone else. I'm sure you've heard his name before. His name's Jesus. Jesus is human like us as well, but he's so much more. Not only is he human, but he is God. Uh, Jesus, according to human standards, is very much like Elijah. He's a nobody from nowhere. He comes from Nazareth. What good can come out of Nazareth? You know, what, what good can come from the place he's from? Nobody likes the place he's from. He's the son of a carpenter. He's not a son of a politician or a religious leader or anything like that. No one really respects Jesus because of his social status. He's born in the backside of an inn. But Jesus is more than simply human. You see, Jesus encountered the same situation that Elijah did. If you were to look at Luke 7, you would see Jesus walking down the street. And as he walks down the street, he sees this, this huge funeral and all these people that are beyond upset, beyond grieving because this widow has lost her only son that she loved so very much. And as Jesus watches this take place, as he watches this heartbreaking uh, 
a scenario play out in front of him. He has compassion on this woman. And he walks over and he says, Young man, I say to you, arise. You know what happens? The young man arises. He gets up. He comes back to life. Jesus did not say, Father, please make him rise or anything like that. He does not pray because he doesn't have to pray because he is God. Unlike Elijah, Jesus actually has the power and the authority to raise the dead. He has power over life and death. He doesn't pray. He commands. He prays for our benefit. Yes, absolutely. But this one we follow has power over life and death this morning. And he calls us to trust in him, to realize we don't. We don't have power over life and death. We don't have power over anything. We're nobodies who can simply trust his word. We're nobodies who have no power, but he has all the power. And so he calls us to trust in him. He calls us to depend on him. Not him plus other stuff. Not him plus money. Not him plus prestige or plus human wisdom or plus self-distraction or whatever. That's not how He calls us to live our life. He calls us to live our life by depending on Him and Him alone. Guys, when is the last time you prayed as though God is your only option? When is the last time you poured your heart out to Him and said, God, I can't do this. There's no way forward for me. There's no way I can make this work. I'm out of answers. I'm out of wisdom. I'm out of ideas. I have to trust on you. What if you started there? instead of exhausting all of your, what you feel like are resources before coming to Him. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you to come to the Lord and say, God, I don't have anything. I don't have any power. I don't have any strength. I have no abilities. I'm a nobody from nowhere, and all I can do is depend on you. Sorry if that, that hurts your self-esteem this morning, but, but we, we have nothing, guys. We have nothing to offer Him. Nothing in our hands can we bring. We, we have nothing with which to claim a hold on God. All we can do is come and bow and ask Him to guide us, to direct us, to rescue us, to sustain us. So this morning, if you're, you know, you're thinking through your lunch plans and all those things, I get it. But would you take a moment and say, Lord, I need you. I need you. The rest of that stuff doesn't matter. The rest of this day doesn't matter. What matters is my complete and total dependence on you. Before we leave here this morning, would you commit yourself to depending on the Lord and on Him alone? If you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, the one who is, has power over life and death calls you to come to Him. Because there will come a day where, you, where He will return and all those who have trusted in Him, He will say, Arise! And all those who have trusted in Him will rise. And He will deliver us to His Father. And we will spend eternity in heaven with Him. But that's the only way. That's the only option. There is not a door number two. There is no Baal. There is no other gods. There is God and God alone. If you've never put your faith in Him this morning, I want to encourage you to do that. If you would rise. <laughs> you would stand with us. And as you stand, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, we'll get ready to sing and to, to worship the Lord and, and to pray and, and respond to Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. God, You are good. God, You are powerful and wonderful and we can depend on You. Lord, I thank You for the way that, that You honor Your Word, the way that You strengthen Your, your people through Your Word this morning. Lord, I pray that uh, you would encourage us, Lord, that you would help us to depend on you, to lean on you, to follow you. 
Lord, I pray that you would use this time as we sing, God, that we would truly pray. God, that we would actually take this opportunity to get all the other things out of our mind and that we would pray to you and we would ask you to guide us. We would ask you to lead us. God, that we would give up on our own wisdom, that we'd give up on our own power and our own pedigree and all those things and we'd put our trust and our strength and our, our faith in you and you alone. Lord, clean our hearts out of all the idols that we put in there. Help us to lean on you and trust on you. And Lord, I pray if there's any here who don't know you, that you would bring them to know you, Lord, that they would come to know you this morning, that they would see Jesus and that they would trust on you, Lord. We need your help in this place. Help us now, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.